We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Chasing Hardware, the podcast that sits down with the sports figures you grew up with and hears their stories. Welcome to Chasing Hardware. I'm your host, Rich Lamello. My guest today was called the smartest defensive player I've ever seen by no less an authority than John Madden. He was a three-time Pro Bowler and the 1973 Defensive Player of the Year. He won two Super Bowls with Miami and is one half of one of the best safety tandems of all time. And while he's been a scratch handicap, he wasn't even the best golfer in his college's defensive backfield. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Chasing Hardware, Mr. Dick Anderson. Dick, welcome. Well, thank you very much. And uh, that was a nice intro. Oh, oh, my pleasure. Well, you (laughs) you certainly earned it. Um, Dick, you, you, you you were born in Michigan, but you were raised in Colorado and went to Boulder High School in Colorado? That's correct. I, I uh, was born in Midland, Michigan, and, and uh, w- when I was five, we moved to Boulder. Okay, so, so for the most part, raised in Boulder, went to Boulder yep. High School. Um, your senior year, you guys won a state championship. Is that correct? That's correct. And, and you were, did, did you play running back and defensive back in high school? Yes, played uh, both ways. So I was a safety on defense and I was a fullback on offense. Okay. And my, and you, my brother, brother Bobby, who was the first run draft choice of the Broncos two years after I was, uh, was a sophomore quarterback. And then, um, in high school, you also had played with Hale Irwin, the golfer who I alluded to in the introduction. Um, he was your high school teammate. And then you two and your brother, Bobby, obviously all different years, but you all went down the road to University of Colorado at Boulder. Hale Irwin and I um, did grow up together. Um, Hale, of course, is a great golfer and he was a great football player. Um, we actually played uh, played football in junior high school, high school, and at the University of Colorado. And at the University of Colorado, I was one safety and he was the other one. Um, 
in high school, uh, we played football, basketball, and golf together. And uh, we actually won the state championship in high school golf, <laughs> Hale and I. That's amazing. Um, and did you, when you, when it was time to go to college, obviously, I think Hale was a year ahead of you and he went to Colorado. Did you consider right. any other schools or was it going to be Boulder all the way? No, I, I, I took a couple trips, I think, just to take the trips. But um, when I was a senior, yes, I, I really uh, wanted to stay and go to the University of Colorado. Okay. Um, and so you go to Colorado, your coach there is Eddie Crowder. And he decides to make, this was like right at that time where guys were kind of trans, well, there was starting to be the transition from two-way players to one-way players. And he decided to make you uh, just a defensive back. Uh, what was your, what were your thoughts on that? And, you know, kind of what was the thinking that went into that? Well, at, at that point in time, you know, we, a lot of us did play both ways. And, uh, you know, that was just about the time that they were starting to play uh, you know, on, on one side, either offense or defense. Um, and so, you know, I mean, the the coach is the one that makes the decision. Um, <clears throat> you know, I enjoyed being a running back. But in college, we had a fullback by the name of Wilmer Cook, who was later drafted by San Diego. Um, and I uh, stayed on defense, and, and Hale Irwin was, was one safety, and I was the other one. Yeah, and you guys start when, when you're a sophomore. When because back then freshmen couldn't play. When you're a sophomore, all of a sudden your team goes from being two and eight the year before to six two and two. You finish third in the Big Eight. You and Hale are both playing D back. The next year you're seven and three, um, and then the next year in '67 you're an All American. Colorado finishes second in the Big Eight. You win the Blue Bonnet Bowl. Your brother is the quarterback. And so then, so then you get drafted in, well, first of all, tell me about playing with your brother. I mean, obviously you guys have a successful, when you're a senior, he's a sophomore, you win a bowl game, you, you, you know, finish second in a tough big eight conference. Um, Tell me about, uh, tell me about what it was like playing with him. Well, Bobby was, was really a a great athlete and um, you know, the, the ability that, um, you know, I, I was older than him and, and he was, you're right on my tail all the time. Uh, but, um, yeah. And, and, you know, both in high school, um, we, uh, we, we did real well. We won the state championship and, and he was a sophomore quarterback. Um, you know, two years later, um, he was a sophomore at university of Colorado when I was a senior and he was a starting quarterback. So he had a good, good ability to, um, in passing, he was smart. He, you know, was a good runner, and so, um, you know, and then he was drafted uh, a heck of a lot earlier than I was by the Denver Broncos, and sadly, um, you know, he got hurt um, earlier in his career, and he, so he didn't have the kind of um, record or, or experience that I did at the Dolphins. Sure, and and both of you end up in the College Football Hall of Fame. And so then you get drafted in the third round by the Dolphins. You're in the same draft as Larry Zonka and Jim Kick. And it's, it's kind of a funny time in Florida because, you know, nowadays, obviously, you've got two pro hockey teams, two pro baseball teams, pro basketball, three pro football teams. At the time, it was just the Dolphins in the entire state. And even they had only been in existence for two years when you came in. 
what was it like going to Miami uh, at that point in the late sixties? Well, you, you were just fortunate to get drafted. And, and, you know, when, when you go to a team that's young, you have a much better chance of making the team than, than if you go to, into a team that, you know, has a lot of veterans. Sure. And we, um, what was, what I think the most interesting statistic was, uh, George Wilson, who was a, a longtime coach in the NFL, was the first coach that we had. So the Dolphins started in, in um, 60, um, 66, I think. 56. And then I got drafted in 68 and played two years under, under him. And then um, Coach Shula came in, um, you know, in, when, uh, in 1970. But the, one of the interesting statistics was <clears throat> Joe Thomas was the personnel director. Mm-hmm. And almost everybody on our winning team with the Dolphins, uh, with Coach Shula you know, leading us, were drafted before Coach Shula started drafting. So I think only three of the players on our, our championship team uh, were drafted by Coach Shula, but he, he was a coach. And then Bill Arnsbarger, um, who later got a, a head head coaching job in the NFL, was a brilliant defensive coach. And he was so good that I don't think we ever questioned a defense he called. Right. Yeah. He, he, and he created the, among other things, the, the 53 defense, which at the time was pretty breakthrough where they bring Matheson in and put Manny Fernandez at nose tackle, right? You'd have kind of a three, four. That's, that's correct. I mean, he, he was smart enough that, you know, he, you know, a, a great coach is going to understand what the players' capabilities are. You know, a bad coach says, this is a defense I want to run, and, and you got to run it. And so Bill Arnsbarger was brilliant in terms of, of designing the system by the talent that was there. And, um, you know, the, the, the real key to, to our success with the Dolphins was – um, we made very few mental errors. And so the players were always in the right place at the right time. Yeah, I guess that kind of gets back to the, the quote John Madden said, obviously specifically about you, but, you know, we could have been speaking about the defense also. Just, you know, sometimes it just pays to be smart. You know, you're always positioned properly. Uh, well, you it, know, when – when you can when you can intercept passes and score touchdowns and things like that, you know you, you're going to get a little bit more notice than if you're a lineman, you know, doing all the work. Sure, sure. And and it's interesting because obviously this is well before the 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 era of free agency, and so you know you can only build the team through the draft um, and uh, uh, and trades. But it's interesting you get there and Greasy's there. He's been there for a year. Uh, you come in with Zonka and kick and a couple of the pieces are already in place, Manny Fernandez, Howard Twilley, uh, Norm Evans, but it's just interesting seeing like, you know, every year four or five more pieces are added the next year, Mercury Morris and Larry Little come in and Bill Stanfield. Uh, the trade is made for Nick Bonacani. Could you, you know, but the team is still struggling. You're three and 10, your second year, three, 10 and one. Can you, can you feel that something is happening there, even though the wins aren't necessarily showing up? Well, I think it shows you how um, vital um, a great coach, a great coaches are. You know, Coach Shula really ran the offense with Howard Snellenberger. 
um, you know, three of the coaches uh, that we had ended up being head coaches in the NFL, um, you know, after after I left. Sure. Um, but, um, you know, Bill Arns, as I said, Bill Arnsberger was a brilliant coach in terms of, of selecting, and, um, you know, the players didn't make mistakes. Um, you know, and that really is why it was called the no-name defense, is that, you know, nobody was a star. Everybody did their job. Yeah, and uh, I think it was Tom Landry who who first coined that name, right? Yeah, I think it was. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun beating him. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when you first come in the league, the you're you're at the at the very end of the old AFL, and so when you come in in '68. You're still well. That's the year the Jets win the Super Bowl. So you're playing Namath a couple of times. You're playing Daryl LaMonica, Lenny Dawson. You're a young defensive back. What was it like going up against those guys? Well, it's, you know, it's it's a team game, and um, you know, even um, you know, the, the coaching was different when um, you know before Coach Shula got there, and so you know, we were still a, a, a young team with young players and and you know trying to figure out what in the heck we had to do um and you know the the uh, the as i said the interesting statistic was almost all of the players that later won the super bowl uh, were already drafted when coach shula came in i think um the they hired him after the 70 draft so 68 69 70 were all made by joe thomas right and he was very quietly, you know, you, you don't hear much story, much, you know, information about Joe Thomas, but he was the one that put that team together. And then Coach Shula and Bill Arnsbarger and Monty Clark and Howard Snellenberger, they came in and coached us. Right. So Coach Shula was fortunate to get the coaches that we had. And, you know, and, uh, you know, that's put all the pieces together and, you know, we were successful. Yeah. In fact, I think I'd read that. And, and George Wilson, who was the coach the first couple of years you were there, I mean, obviously had had some success. He, he at Detroit, he wins a championship in 57 coaching the Lions. Um, but I, and I had read that when Shula was winning, he had some kind of comment like, well, you know, the team was ready made for him. So obviously a little bit of tension there. Um, but, you know, as well, you there probably was, a, a, it could have been a little bit of truth too, but, um, you know, again, it was Joe Thomas that, that picked all those players. Right. And so, you know, you've got to have somebody good picking the talent and then you have to have good people coaching the talent. Yeah. And, uh, but coach Hilda was every minute of every day, um, planned. And so, you know, instead of just throwing the ball up and, and practicing, with, uh, you know, the first coach, uh, Coach Shula came in and, and you know, and Bill Arnsberger did, and, and it was, you know, there was a plan. Yeah. You could tell an immediate difference when, uh, like, you know, that first practice or those first series of practices with Shula. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you, and, and, oh, by the way, when you're a rookie, you have eight picks for eight interceptions for 230 yards and a touchdown. I mean, you're immediately productive in the secondary. Um, and 
And, and, you know, obviously that continues throughout your career. In fact, I think three different times you had eight interceptions. And this is in an era when people did not throw the ball nearly as much as, as, uh, as they do today. Um, and, you, you know, you mentioned um, Joe Thomas putting together the team. It's interesting also, like, obviously you're putting together a team via the draft, but there's like very targeted trades taking place also. Bonacani comes in. Um, Larry Little had been in the league for a couple of years and they brought him in. Paul Warfield comes over from Cleveland and Marv Fleming comes in from Green Bay. What, what did Green correct. Bay? That's correct. And, you know, Paul Warfield is, I still think, the best receiver ever to play professional football. And Marv Fleming, having played at Green Bay and winning Super Bowls at Green Bay, was a great tight end blocker. So, um, you know, he came in and out of the, out of the game, but you know, it was, it was those kind of players that, that, you know, had played someplace else and, and we were fortunate enough to get them. But I think Paul Warfield was the greatest receiver ever to play. And, and, uh, our Fleming is, it was a very un, underrated, uh, tight end. Uh, sure. He could sure block on, on the, the running plays. Yeah. And, and that year 70, all of a sudden, Larry Little had come in the year before, but all of a sudden that's that offensive line you guys had all of a sudden Jim Langer comes in, Bob Kuchenberg comes in, Wayne Moore comes in. All of a sudden that line starts to take shape, which then sets up your running game uh, for the next, you know, kind of half a decade. Could you, yeah, could and Monty, you... Monty Clark was the coach and, and, you know, again, uh, I think the success of, of Shula's coaching and the assistant coaches was the fact that, that, Everybody had a job to do, and and you know we didn't jump around and do things that um, you know we got rid of players that wanted to do their thing. So it was us instead of them. <laughs> sure, sure. And that's and that's the year Jake Scott came in. He he had been a star at Georgia, and then went to Canada for a year or two, and then comes in. Did did you guys immediately click as a safety tandem, or did that take some time? Well, I think everything takes some time, but um, I mean, Jake was a, a great, great player. He left Georgia a year early and couldn't come to the NFL, so that's why he went to Canada. Right. They played played a year in Canada, and and Joe Thomas had drafted him as a pre, you know, because of of the the way the rules were, and so you know Jake came in and. Um, you know he's a terrific weak safety, and and uh, so between the two of us, and then uh, Tim Foley and Curtis Johnson were the other defensive backs. Um, I think that our record still there's only one team that had a better record than we did over one, two, three, four, and five years, seventy-one through seventy-five, um, and um, you know in those five years, if you take you know at, at that point in time. The one-year record, you know, being undefeated in '72, the two-year record, the three-year record, the four-year record, and the five-year record, um, you know, nobody had had ever has never even hasn't uh, done that. We, I guess, we'll, I think uh, New England got within 35 seconds of tying us, but they didn't make it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and yeah, it's, it's fascinating to think that the NFL has been played for, you know, what's it, 102 years now, 103 years, something like that. And 
since they've had championship games, like first couple of years, they didn't have championship games. Three times a team has come into the championship game undefeated. I think it was the 34 and 42 bears and then the 07 right. Patriots. And each time that team lost the championship, you guys are the only one who came in undefeated and won the championship. Um, well, it's, it's, it's still fun at this age, you know, 50 years later to have that record, you know, and you kind of, kind of laugh and, and be very happy that, uh, you know, we, we still have that record. Oh yeah. And, and, and before, before you got to the Super Bowl against Washington and won it the year before you also went to the Super Bowl, you played Dallas, but in the run up to that, you had the double overtime uh, playoff game against Kansas city, which I think to this day is still the longest game or certainly one yeah, of the we two. Went, we went into the sixth in, you know, the, the sixth quarter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, before we, we, we scored and, and, you know, that was a heck of a game and, and uh, you know, that really put us in a, in a good spot. And the next week you play Baltimore, the Colts in effectively the AFC championship game to see who would play Dallas. You have an interception in that game that you returned for a touchdown that has to be one of the wildest plays to watch. Um, you, you, you pick off the ball. I think it's deflected. You pick off the ball. It's, it goes down in the books as like a 60 or 70 yard touchdown, but you run, you're in the middle of the field. You run to one. It was, it was, it was 62 yards, 62 yards. Okay. Yeah. But from the middle of the field, you run all the way to the right side. You come all the way back to the left and then back to the middle. I mean, it's got to end up being close to 150 yards. If you really do the math, maybe hundred, <laughs> but the crazy thing, and it's great to watch the video clip because Kurt Gowdy's on the call and he breaks it down there's at least six blocks on that play. I mean, you're the second you pick that ball off, man, your defense got on it and started blocking those Colts. It was, no, uh, they were there. There were, there were six perfect blocks. The first one was Jake Scott knocked out the first guy when I, when Curtis Johnson tipped it and I got picked it up on the, on their side of the field. And, and then, you know, was able to cross the field and then the, the block started happening bang, 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 bang. And then I cut back and, and scored. Um, and so that, that was, a, that was a pretty neat play. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's one of the cooler plays I've ever seen. I mean, it's just, it's almost exhausting to watch, you know, you're just like weaving through as guys are being picked off left and right. Um, yeah, I and- have a, I have a photo of that, uh, 18 photo of, you know, black and white photos of, of that run. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's, that's really cool. And, and I should point out that with that interception and you had one against Kansas city the week before, right. In that, I think my my statisticians crew is me. So sometimes (laughs) I might not be a hundred percent accurate, but you know, um, I think that when you retired, you and Willie Brown had the most career postseason interceptions. There, there have been more now, um, especially with, you know, the advent of, you know, much more passing. Um, but when you retired in the mid, well, in 77, I think you and Willie Brown had the most career playoff interceptions. Um, and that, that one certainly was iconic. Um, I, I, I hadn't realized that. <laughs> yeah. I think, cause I think you had five career postseason 
uh, interceptions. And I think Willie Brown ended up with six or seven, but um, that was the tops of the list. And like I said, now a few guys have more, but, uh, but at that time, that was the record. Uh, but you go, you, you play Dallas in the Super Bowl, and they, they beat you, they, they win 24 to three. Um, tell me about that feeling of getting there. You know, you're, you're like this young team, you've kind of been building over the last couple of years, you get there. It's not really that close a game. What was that like? And what was the mindset coming out of that leading into the 72 season? Well, I think frustration is probably the the best comment I can make. Um, You know, we thought we were prepared and, and, um, you know, they just happened to be better prepared than we were. and, And they played, you know, as a team and they were, you know, Roger Staubach was a great quarterback. So, um, I think we we took that experience, you know, into the next season was one of the reasons why we were so successful is we didn't want that to happen again. Right. And that was a, did that come from that? Uh, obviously, everybody takes pride in, in performance, but was that also kind of a dictate from Shula? Well, he he uh, never let us forget it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a, it's a good way to put it. <clears throat> and, you know, we had, we had great coaches and we had experience and, and, um, you know, everything the next year just fell into place. Yeah. And so, so that next year, so it's, and it's interesting also, <clears throat> I interviewed for this program. Um, I interviewed Mercury Morris a few months ago and obviously you had that three headed running game, right. With kick and Zonka and Morris, but, I, up to that point, Morris wasn't getting, he, he made the pro bowl, but as a kick returner. And it was interesting. I think he went to the pro bowl that year, a week or two after the super bowl loss and McCafferty of the Colts was the coach. And a couple of the running backs weren't really interested in playing all that much. So he got a lot of runs and really lit it up. And Landry was praising him saying, wow, I'm glad we didn't have to face him, you know, in, in the Super Bowl, you know, two weeks ago, and and he Mercury, w- you know, was under the impression that Shula probably heard all that and thought, all right, I don't want to hear about this from McCafferty and Landry, so I'm going to give this kid a shot, and you know, the rest is history. Obviously, he turns into a thousand yard back himself, um, which really just kind of you know solidified that that backfield, right? Well, I think the you know when you have three backs, Zonka in there all the time. And um, I think one of the reasons early on Mercury wasn't playing was he was dropping passes. Okay. And uh, so on running plays, we'd put Mercury in. And, you know, on on passing plays, we usually put kick in. And that was, you know, that was kind of the reason that that occurred, I believe. And, and um, you know, and then it, it really, when Mercury got the ball, bam, you know, he gets able to take off and, and his speed is, uh, is really good. And, and then he quit fumbling. <laughs> right. So, you know, it, 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 I think that was one of the reasons initially that, um, you know, kick got in, um, you know, on, on passing plays. Right. Uh, so he could either run or, or catch a pass and, and Mercury, you know, was there on running plays. I think Mercury still has all these years later, I think he still has one of the top two or three yards per carries in NFL history. And it's like 5.2 or something like that. I mean, it's just astounding. And, and, you know, we had a great 
offensive line at, at that point in time and you know he they they have you know he had a good he has he had the speed and the movements that he could um, you know get down the field yeah and so the 72 season gets going and you guys you end up that year with the number one ranked offense the number one ranked defense and the top special teams group in in the NFL but it's that's not easy. that's why we that's why we were undefeated <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so certain things just kind of spell themselves out right um but yeah. in in i think it was week five greasy goes down and earl morrill comes in and earl morrill you know clearly a, a you know well thought of quarterback and he had been the mvp substituting for unitas a few years earlier but he's not the starting quarterback he's not bob greasy what was the feeling when Greasy goes down and, you know, and, and, you know, kind of tell me about that on, in the, uh, in the locker room. Well, it was, oh my gosh. And, and, you know, silence happened and <clears throat> then uh, Earl gets in the game and he looks at the players and he says, okay, boys, let's get to work. And, you know, needless to say, he did a tremendous job and, in um, moving that team down the field, and that again was, you know, both coaching and his ability to, to um, you know, be a quarterback that he could he could uh, run and um, you know and, and pass, and and he was smart, and so um, you know the defense had to suck it up a bit, and and the offense continued to be successful. Right. Um... And you get in the playoffs that year. You, you play a tough, a tight game against Cleveland. You win, um, and um, and actually, there's a great clip of you know speaking of the camaraderie and the teamwork. Kick scores the game-winning touchdown, and the first guy to meet him on the field is Mercury Morris, um, who had basically replaced him in the starting lineup. But you know, just to kind of show you the type of camaraderie that team had, um, and then in one of those quirks of NFL rules at the time even though you're undefeated and pittsburgh has three losses they get to host the afc championship game so you have to go into pittsburgh um to uh to earn your right to go to the super bowl even though you're the team that's run the table what was that like going into three rivers well it's like i said that that was a rule at the time and and um you know pittsburgh had a had a great team and so you know, it's just another one. We had to suck it up and, and uh, you know, do our job, and we were able to, to accomplish it. Sure. And so so you're playing Washington, uh, you know, great ground game with Larry Brown, you know, very good receivers with Charlie Taylor and, and um, uh, Jerry Smith and, and Roy Jefferson. And you effectively are shut. Well, you are shutting them out until the final minutes of the game, when when obviously there's the the missed field goal and the pass attempt by Gary Upremian, and all of a sudden the game is tight with you know with a couple of minutes to go. What was what was it like on the sidelines and in the defensive huddle as that game was coming you know winding down? Well, it, it, you know it was a it was a big surprise, and and um, you know had your kicker that was was you know. They drop the ball and he picks it up and runs with it and he's scared to death because someone's going to hit him. Throws the ball up in the air and they catch it and run in and score a touchdown. You know, and it, all of those kind of things shouldn't have happened. Right. Um, and and uh, so you know nobody was very happy about it, but we had to go in and suck it up and and uh, you know 
keeps a, you know, stop stop them, um, you know, from moving down the field and and uh, you know, upsetting us. Yeah, I think that yeah they got the ball back with just a little bit of time on the clock, and obviously a score would have tied it. But but I don't think they you, they didn't even really get close. You guys were able to shut them down at the end. And then you come back for more in 1973. Now, this, this particular year, you're the defensive player of the year. Uh, for the third time in your career, you have eight interceptions. You have what some people, I, I think Don Shula said you had the best half of football that a defensive <laughs> player has ever had. I would actually argue you had the best half of football any pro football player has ever had. You're playing Pittsburgh on a Monday night. In one half, you have four interceptions, and you return two for touchdowns. You almost returned another one for a touchdown. You got close. Yeah, the, yeah, the third one, I only got tackled on the one-yard line, so I screwed up. <laughs> and and the, the funniest thing is, listening to the call, Cosell can't – I mean, he literally says like t- six times, I don't believe it. I don't believe what I'm seeing. I don't believe it. And, you know, you're not doing this against, the you know, the 76 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You're doing this against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um what was, you know, sometimes guys just get in a zone. Is that what you were feeling at that point? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, he just, um, they had the two, two different quarterbacks and, and I got two from each of them and, um, you know, it just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And, you know, it was again, Bill Arnsberger is the one that put us there. And so, you know, you people don't realize how bright he was in terms of knowing, you know, what, defense needed needed to be called and um you know i was fortunate enough to pick the ball off and and uh, score a couple times i'm still mad i didn't score the third time <laughs> yeah i mean it's 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 unbelievable like you, you know for the year obviously you're the defensive player of the year you have eight picks but i mean four interceptions and two touchdowns in one half and, and close to a third against you know one of the top three or four teams in the league is just is just amazing um and so, so once again, you guys are really good. You're not undefeated. You're 12 and two, but obviously you're, you're having a very good season. You knock off Cincinnati and Oakland in the playoffs. You're, you're lining up to play the Vikings. They've got a rookie running back named Chuck Foreman, who's had a very good year. Obviously, Fran Tarkenton throwing to John Gilliam. Um, as a defensive player, what was the mindset going into that Super Bowl? Well, I think, again, it, it was the brilliance of, of um, Bill Arnsbarger. And, you know, we had to change our defense to um, address friend Tarkenton's running ability. Sure. So we did a good job in terms of not letting him get outside of the pocket. Um, and, and again, it was we, we called the right plays at the right time. And, and, you know, he was running around, but he wasn't running around outside the ends. You know, we, we were able to keep him inside the middle. And um, you know, get to him. So again, I mean, I I think Bill Arnsbarger was the absolute reason that we won that game. Um, and and then the next year, looking for the three peat, you guys go eleven and three, and that was shaping up to be kind of an interesting year anyway, because the WFL is now in existence, and they're trying to sign high-profile guys. They've signed Calvin Hill from Dallas. And they sign Larry Zonka, Paul Warfield, and Jim Kick, the Memphis Southmen. But right. it's one of those bizarre things where they signed early in 74, 
but they're going to play the entire 74 season for the Dolphins and then leave for the WFL. What was it like having these, you know, kind of three high profile guys on the team, you know, kind of knowing that this was their last year? What was that like in the locker room? Well, it was, I mean, I, I actually was president of, of the players union at the time. And, um, you know, the NFL had all these rules and, you know, where they weren't paying the players, you know, it's it, certainly as much as, as they, they could have gotten. Sure. Um, and so when Sanka Kick and, and Warfield left and the money that they were offered, I don't think of, you know, we were upset, you know, or, or concerned about it. And, but I don't think we ever criticized them for doing that just because, you know, of, of, the, of the dollar amount and the, and the success we'd had in the past. And, you know, they got rewarded and, and it was a lot of money. You know, you look at the salaries today versus what they were, you know, it's 50 years ago. I mean, my first salary was $15,000. I was rookie of the year and next year I make seventeen five. Right. You know, today they make it in a minute. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so, you know, it was, you know, everything happens based on rules and, and what's going on with the economy. And, you know, so I don't think any of our, you know, we were, we were not happy that we lost three great players. But, you know, after the record that we'd had in the years that we played together, and they were able to make that kind of money, um, you know, uh, we couldn't criticize them for doing that. Sure. Yeah. And I, I think I saw an interview of Zonka where he said, somebody asked him, you know, what was Shula's reaction to all that? And he said, he said, he basically never brought it up. We just played the season as you would play the season. And then afterwards, you know, after we lost against Oakland, when all was said and done and we were back in Miami, he came to us and said, you know, thank you for the effort. And, you know, I wish you the best of luck. He said he was a total gentleman about it, that he seemed to understand. Well, it's the same, you know, it's, he, he understands what the dollar amounts are in the time that, you know, we played, it wasn't a young player that got, um, you know, drafted. I mean, you know, picked to go there, you know, it was veterans that, um, you know, were at the end of their career. Yeah. And, and you mentioned it um, in, 75, you become the president of the NFL Players Association. Did you take it over from Bill Curry? You know, I, um, he, w he was there before. Um, I, you know, I was the, you know, each team had a player that was, you know, would go to the national meetings. Sure. And, um, you know, I was on, on the board first and then, those last two years, I was elected president. Um, and so, um, you know, he, he was certainly the president before me, and I, I can't recall if, if it was, I was right after him or, or, or not. Right. I, I only asked because I, I interviewed him a few months ago, and he was talking about how, you know, John Mackey had just, you know, kind of set the tone for the NFLPA and had done such a great job. And then Mackey said, I want you to be in charge. And he was like, oh, God, you know, <laughs> I don't want to fill your shoes. And so and I, I know that you had a line um, when when you became the head of the NFLPA, you had a quote. I think it was I need this like I need another knee operation. Uh, was it just was it a lot of was it a headache to be in charge? No, no, I I um, I enjoyed that. Um, 
you know, I thought I could do a good job, and I, I thought I'd help, you know, the, the negotiations to get the players more money, um, you know, and, and deal with those systems. And, and um, you know, after that, I actually ran, that's when I retired, I ran for uh, the state senate and got elected and, and uh, you know, was a Florida state senator for the next four years. Was that was that one term or two terms? No, that was one 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 four year term. One and, four year term. Um, and then I just chose not to to run again uh, because I'd bought a, a business and um, just couldn't do both. I bought the RCA TV distributorship for Florida. Okay, got it. And and then you know and businesses after that. Gotcha. Um... I, you know, it's, it's, we're talking about Don Shula. I, I read one of the players on the team said something like, yeah, you know, you're yelling at Anderson a lot. And he said, well, he plays harder when I yell at him. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's what he says. Um, yeah, it was actually, it was actually Nick Bonacani went up to him one time on the, on the, on the sideline and he says, quit yelling at Anderson. And he said, Just get, go, go, go away. He, he plays better when I do. <laughs> I guess you have to know your personnel, right? Um, I also, I loved it. I saw a great quote on Shula that just kind of tells you, you know, exactly what makes him tick. Apparently he was riding a ref about a penalty call that was five yards. And, and the ref turns to him and says, you know, stop complaining. It's only five yards. And Shula's response is five yards is my life. <laughs> just tells you, you know, every, every yard matters that much to him. He's always pushing you to get better and better. Right. Yeah, that's, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about that. A, a coach like, you know, if you think of Shula, you know, in the 70s, they win with the running game. Then he has Dan Marino. So it becomes, you know, very much a passing team, you know, adopts to the talent that he has. I also thought of in basketball, Pat Riley, you know, you're, you're winning out in LA with the Showtime Lakers and, and Magic and Kareem and Worthy. You come to New York, you're still winning, but now it's almost like a football team with Charles Oakley and uh, uh, Anthony Mason and Patrick Ewing. You know, the best coaches figure out a way to adapt to their personnel. Well, I think, you know, it's, it's twofold. You have to have somebody in charge of the draft and, and you know, maybe the coach and, and it may be like uh, <clears throat> when we had Joe Thomas, he was the one that put that team together. Coach right. Shula comes in and and uh, you know was able to manage those players. Yeah, and, and Thomas, uh, you know, and when Thomas left Miami, when Shula came in, I, he went to Baltimore, right, and and built up that team, which ultimately didn't make it to a Super Bowl. But all of a sudden, you know, they had Burt Jones and Lydell Mitchell and Roger Carr, and I think his his fingerprints were all over that too, right? Yes, I, I I believe so. He was, um, you know, and and I think he he left Miami just because Shula wanted to do everything, and so, you know, the question became, you know, when George Wilson was there, he made the, he he was the one that, that drafted everybody, um, you know, and still had the, the the coaches, you know, looking at those players, but um, you know, he and Coach Shula, I think. Um, didn't see eye to eye, and so he left and went, you know, went up north to 
to coach and to, to you know run another team. Sure. So um, as a strong safety, you would have been covering tight ends a lot. I mean, obviously receivers and, and running backs out of the backfield also, but I read that you thought John Mackey, you considered one of the toughest guys to, to go up against. Tell me about going up against him and also some of the other great tight ends of that era, you know, Ditka, Russ Francis, Raymond Chester, Dave Casper, guys like that. Um, but, you know, start, start with, tell me about Mackey. Well, I think, I mean, John Mackey was a great tight end and he was a big guy. I mean, you know, a lot of tight ends are slim, slimmer and, and, uh, you know, didn't have one, the experience or two, the size that John Mackey did. So, you know, he would get off the line and he'd throw linebackers out of the way and then he'd run over a defensive back, <clears throat> um, you know, because defensive backs generally weren't the size that, that, uh, that he had. And sure. so, you know, again, you needed to determine how you were going to cover him and, um, you know, when you when you hit somebody, you wanted to make sure that you know they were hit and and they just didn't run over the top of you. So, you know he he was certainly a, a tight end that you had to uh, you know try to double team you know try to get the strong linebacker to to hold him up a little bit before the as a, as a play ran, and then you had the United throwing the ball. So I mean those were two pretty darn good players. It's a pretty good combination. <laughs> Uh, what was uh, what was your take on on playing against Mike Ditka? Well, Ditka was, um, you know, he didn't. He was just, you know, I mean, he was hard nosed, and uh, you know, when he caught the ball, he just run over you. Um, you know, he was probably tougher than than <laughs> the other one, but um, he, um, you know, he was a, he was a, another great tight end that. Uh, you know, could catch the ball and, and, um, you know, when, and he'd get upfield. So, you know, again, you had to try to figure out how you were going to tackle him or cover him, you know, and, and, uh, you know, in those days there was a lot of pushing and shoving sometimes if the ball wasn't in the air and we could hit a receiver, um, coming off the line. Um, and, you know, we did a lot of that, uh, you know, to try to knock them down so they didn't get into their pass pattern. You know, today the rule is you can't do that. <laughs> yeah. So, well, and uh, you know, that was one of the successes that the defense had at that point in time is, you know, we could hit a hit a receiver, you know, as long as the ball wasn't in the air. Right. Yeah. It's, it, I interviewed uh, Mel Blunt for this show, and obviously there's the Mel Blunt rule uh, that that came into effect in the late '70s, and he was saying it's funny. At first he was offended because he 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 took it as, you know, kind of a slap, like, well, you can only be successful because of this way that you've been playing. You know, we don't think you can be successful otherwise, but then obviously he continued to be a successful cornerback and came to realize that it was actually, you know, an honor that he, he had played, you know, so well one way that the league felt they had to change the rule and, you know, basically put the, put his name on it. Um, and so he, you know, ultimately he said, yeah, it's pretty cool. Like my kids and my grandkids think it's awesome that there's the Mel Blunt rule. <laughs> uh, so as a strong safety, who were the strong safeties you admired? Uh, I, I'd read that you, you thought Ken Houston uh, was particularly good. Tell me about him and some of the others that you, you like to watch. 
you know, because each each team had a, had a different way to you know, to deal with their offense and defense, and so I think it was more what the coaches wanted to do and and what players could could um, do than you know what um, you know recognizing and trying to compare your your system to somebody else's. Okay. Um, you know, our system was you know designed by Bill Arnsberger and and. You know, every everybody was in the right place at the right time, <clears throat> and so even though, you know, at, at when a receiver came off off, um, you know, out and and you know, or they're in the slot, and you know, I had a chance to, you know, say say I'm playing a zone defense, you know, and, and you you hit you can hit him and then get to where you want to be, you don't have to you know play him man to man, so we did play a lot of zone defense. Which allowed you to <clears throat> disrupt their pattern, but then sure. you had to get back and be able to, you know, know where the cor- the quarterback was going. I mean, one of the things that we did, <clears throat> Jake Scott and I, and Namath to this day still cusses at me when I see him. But um, you know, we would both make a step to going like I was going to go. I'm on the left hand side, and I was going to go out to the left left hand side um and then jake we would both start that way and then after two steps we'd twirl and come back namath would namath would look up and he said you blank blank guys weren't where we were supposed to be i said yes we were joe you just didn't know where that was going to (laughs) be that's pretty funny um, speaking, speaking of you and Jake, uh, so it's funny, I interviewed Gary Fensick and obviously he and Doug Plank in the, in the, you know, late seventies, um, certainly had developed a reputation for being big hitters, but he, he tells a funny story about the bears are playing the Cowboys in a playoff game and, and ultimately Dallas killed them in that game. It was like 78 or something like that. Um, but he said that beginning of, before the game started during pregame, Waters and Harris called them over and said something like, yeah, but we've been watching you guys. You guys are, you know, you guys are crazy back there. And they were like, oh my God, you know, Cliff Harris and, and Charlie Waters know who we are. Um, and it's, it's funny. Cause I, I was thinking about it. Like that was a great era for safety tandems, right? It was, it was you and Jake Scott. It was Waters and Harris. It was um, uh, yeah, Donnie Shell and Mike Wagner in Pittsburgh, obviously Fensick and, and Plank, you know, Tatum and Atkinson in Oakland. Um, it was, you know, great pairs of, of safeties and um, just a great era. Uh, did you did you kind of recognize that at the time or was that not something that, you know, as uh, uh, as, you know, kind of a player at the time you really paid much attention to? Well, you know, we'd, you'd watch films and, and see, you know, what what they could do. Um, but, um, you know, we really had to deal with what we were doing and, and not worry about, you know, somebody, somebody else. You know, you'd, you'd look at how they dealt with the teams that they were playing, you know, if we were watching film and, you know, realize what they could do and what they couldn't do. And, um, you know, from that standpoint. So <clears throat> I think I look back on, on it as, you know, it's one game at a time and every team was a little bit different and you had to prepare yourself for that particular team. Sure. When you can Any... see, you know, what, what other corner, you know, safeties are doing, um, you know, to have success, then you know you 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 can add that to what you what you want to accomplish 
you know, for the next game. Sure. Any, any safeties that you, you, you particularly like to watch these days? You know, um, I really, you know, I really don't, um, per se, you know, and I think one of it is that they keep changing people so much that I don't know if I could name more than five or 10 guys on the Miami Dolphins today. Right. Yeah. The turnover is just different than it used to be. Turnover is, is really, you know, um, a lot, I mean, it's, it's huge compared to what, what we had, you know, because of the rules. So, you know, you just, you, you, Right now, the Miami Dolphins seem, you know, seem to have a, a really good defensive backfield. Mm-hmm. They're veterans. They've been around. You know, they can, they know how to play together. So that's one of the strongest points of the Dolphins today, are the defensive backs. Sure. But we just have to watch and see how well they do. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Exactly. And who who were the um, who were the quarterbacks in your day where? Like you said, you had to take each game, game to game. So, you know, on some level, whoever you were playing that Sunday was the guy, you you know, you had to mind. Um, but who were some of the guys who just over the course of your, you know, nine or 10 years in the league, just, you know, you, you had the utmost respect for? Well, I think um, really Joe Namath and, and Johnny Unitas. Okay. Um, also um, the Pittsburgh uh, quarterback. Oh, Terry Bradshaw. Um, Terry Bradshaw. And so I'd say those three were, were the ones that you really, you know, had to deal with, um, you know, and you knew that they were good and, and you knew that they were, uh, had the ability to, to move the team down the field. So, um, you know, that made it a little bit different when you, you're dealing with that. Sure. Um, and, and to shift gears for a second, uh, we, we talked at the outset about Hale Irwin, um, obviously a, a high school teammate of yours uh, in football and golf and a, and a college teammate of yours and a three-time U.S. Open champ. I, I w- always found it fascinating. He won U.S. Opens in the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. Um, do, you, do you remain, you know, pretty close? Like, w- did you, you know, kind of follow those U.S. Opens closely or even maybe attend? Um, you know, I absolutely watched them closely, um, you know, when – was a, a great athlete. I mean, like I said, you know, in in high school we played football, basketball, and golf together um, for all the, for those those years in in high school. And then in college, um, he uh, was the other safety, and 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 so we played together from that standpoint. Then he went and played professional golf and had a great success with that. Um, and you know, we'll see each other every once in a while, but. Um, he lives in in Phoenix, I think now, and or San Diego, and um, you know I'm in Florida, so we don't, you know, um, I would if, if when they had a tournament here in Doral, I'd go watch him and and uh, and see. But you know, it's it, he was a he really was a great athlete. He was a heck of a baseball player um, as well. Cause, uh, like I said we went to junior high school, high school, and college together, and. Um, you know, for him to to come out of college and and go to the uh, the P, well the, when you go to the PGA and and go through the first uh, test to get well, licensed, qualifying, <laughs> qualifying, yeah, 
when you get to the qualifying school, you know, I mean, he he did it the first year he 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 was there. So, um, you know, from that standpoint on, he was he was very successful. Yeah, he's a great athlete. So, I mean, he like I said, we played football, basketball, and golf together in high school. Yeah, it's pretty cool. We played football. It's pretty cool to think that your safety tandem in college, it's you and Hale Irwin, and then it's you and Jake Scott for, you know, pretty much your whole career in Miami. It's pretty, pretty uh, top-notch pairings. Well, just fortunate to have a great partner. <laughs> yeah. Else he could tell me what to do and how to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, well, Dick, Dick, I have to tell you, it's, it's been great talking to you and, and hearing about, you know, kind of the progression to, you know, hearing about your years in Boulder and then at the University of Colorado Boulder, obviously those championship Dolphins teams and, you know, some iconic players uh, and coaches along the way. It, it's just, it's just been great, you know, kind of hearing your stories. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on Chasing Hardware. Well, I, I'm happy to help you. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Chasing Hardware. I've been your host, Rich Lumello. The Michael Stanley Band brought us in, and the suburbs with Life is Like are going to take us out. Speak to you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.